0: This is Toronto Today with Greg Brady. Toronto's news, today's talk. 640 Toronto. And we're going here, we're doing it. We have we have the conversations that make you shift a little bit in your chair, so let's do this. And it's a lead story, so what am I going to do? Ignore it? I doubt it. Last night at, uh, at the York Region Catholic District School Board meeting, I got that all right, um things got uh, out of hand. They got out of hand. So here's my question for you before I lay out why it got out of hand. Why you got parents yelling and students crying and school board members wishing they could vanish into thin air. Here's the question. Should Catholic schools in the GTA raise a pride flag in June? I want to keep it simple, but I also I'm sure you'll give me the why, what, when all those journalism questions you're supposed to remember in journalism school. I clearly didn't remember all of them. Why, how, when should Catholic schools in the GTA raise a pride flag in June next to the flag of our country, Canada? I want to know what you think. I'd love to hear from Catholic parents. You choose to send your kids to that school. You pay for that school as well, though there is funding from uh, the board and we can or the brother the province. And we could certainly get into that on another day. I'm not sure why we're still doing that. But anyway, I'd love to hear from a parent. If you're a student or you're an ex-student, I'd love for you to say this would have meant so much to me. You can weigh in there as well. These are the conversations that people have. So if you're going to have them in your backyard and you're going to have them at your office and you're going to have them to your buddy on the cell phone. Let's have him here on Toronto Today. Here is some of the uh, disorder um, and distemper. I think that's more an animal thing. Raccoons. Um, Here's some of the disorder that you hear last night at this particular meeting.
1: Our Mr. Mickles,
0: Mr. Please. Is anything more prominent than people yelling shame on you? I feel like nobody did this except for extreme. Now everything. Shame on you for this. Shame on you for charging uh, this much for chicken in in the frozen food section of Sobeys. No, not picking on Sobeys. But I want to know where this ends and where this begins. Like, there's no question in my mind. There's no question in my mind. Boards are under huge pressure here like I'm telling you I saw the faces of these school board members last night they wanted to vanish into thin air can we make the case no pun intended I'm by the way I was baptized catholic but it didn't it didn't take it was like an operation that went badly or something and neither of my sisters were baptized but that, I know the catholic church and I know enough about it um you, this is a case you're damned if you do damned if you don't damned if you don't i'm going to make that argument that's for sure lots of calls what a surprise uh jason thanks for the phone call you lead us off should catholic schools raise the pride flag absolutely not i i don't understand why they can't leave that out of the school system and why they're trying to tell kids what this flag represents why can't that be figured out after they're by themselves you mean away from uh, uh, off time on school hours? Do you make the distinction between public schools doing it and Catholic schools doing it? The public school system shouldn't do it as well. Should any flag be raised except the Canadian flag? What what are at, on Parliament Hill right now? There's a, a survivors flag that's an orange flag for survivors of residential schools. What should happen there? That that that's okay. I I would I. Why think. why is that okay? But I don't, I, I don't agree with it. I Now, I'm not, I, I'm not against the, the pride flag. I'm not against what the, I'm not against these, the, like people that are gay or homosexual or whatever. But keep that out of the school system and don't tell kids about it. Okay. See, okay. Not a part of history. I, I want to keep moving. I want to keep moving. And I'm, again, I'm not like, hey, uh, your opinion does I, I want to get as many opinions on this as we can. Cause we're, uh, we're, we're moving it here. Raise the flag or not. Raise the flag or not. I'm curious. Sue, you're a Toronto Catholic District School Board teacher. First of all, thanks for teaching. I love teachers. And thanks for coming on, and thanks for listening.
2: Thank you very much. So, I mean, I'm just going to go back super quick to what you said about we're damned if we do, and we're damned if we don't. My, (laughs) My... my son is currently 14 years old, and because of COVID, he's going through his confirmation right now. Okay. And every okay. single class that we walk out of, he's like, "Mom, like this is borderline, you know, homophobic stuff." And I was like, "I know, buddy, but you know, take the good from it." And so, you know, going on that, going
0: can you just to expand a little bit without expand a little bit on that? The content in the classroom, or what what's being the, co-
2: the content in the like,
0: bib- like in bib- the biblical class- stuff you're saying.
2: Biblical stuff and okay. stuff that the priest is saying, right? Okay. That, you know, okay. What's right? What's wrong? And none of it aligns with pride. Let's let's be honest, right? And so, as a Catholic school teacher, I understand that you know that flag causes a lot of turmoil for a lot of people. Mm. So I have a problem with the tokenism of putting that flag up for you know a week uh, or a month or whatever it is, because I truly believe that we should have that flag up all the time so if you're gonna do it leave it up
0: well i think you're making the case that the uh that the people doing it sue are doing it to say ah let's just put it up so it gets everybody off our back and that's not a reason to do anything to me
2: a hundred percent a hundred percent because we're also not allowed to really talk about in classrooms i mean you can in a Mm. roundabout kind of way mention it But, you know, we have very clear curriculum that we follow in the Catholic School Board Mm -hmm. of what we are allowed to say or not say when it comes to, um, you know, alternate lifestyles, the LGBTQT plus lifestyles. And so the reality is, yeah, you're going to put that up there, but... As a grade three teacher, I'm not really allowed to even tell you what it
0: means. Oh, at eight? Hey, listen, I, I'm so glad you called. I, I want to keep your number because I want to have a longer conversation about what we do with eight-year-olds in school. Can we do that and, and, and track you down sometime? I, I
2: don't, I don't want to get fired by my board. Sue, it's a, you're, we're ha- no, you're
0: not. I'm so glad you may not even be Sue, but okay. We'll, uh, we'll keep the conversation going. Put it this way. Someone brings up on text, and I'm sorry, it's a valid point. What if the cross was raised as a flag? I'm well aware that you go into a Catholic school and you see crosses and Jesus being crucified. Like, like I mean, like a, like a how would I put it? A uh, An image of that in a photo or a sculpture or something like that. Um, you're going to, you, you think there wouldn't be, um, how would I put it? Hell raised? by the cross being up next to the Canada flag, even at a Catholic school, I'm telling you, there would be. Tracy, thanks for the phone call. You go right ahead.
2: Uh, hi. Hi. How are you? Great, thank you. Uh, I, I think no. Um, I agree with both of the last callers on both of their points, and you as well, but I just think all of these boards, not just the York, York one, but they all just tout themselves on um, in, um, equality and inclusivity, mm-hmm and if you're going to put a flag up like put one for each month like you know there's there's celebrations each month they don't put one up for Greek heritage month they don't put one up for black history month just leave the canadian flag up and that's it that's
0: it yeah you know I, and mean, I, and, I, it I, and i i hear you loud and clear and i would i, I make that case about the cross uh, by the way here's me cuz I, I owe you i guess my opinion to some extent i my kids would have the uh, a pride flag my kids would have an lgbtq flag at their elementary school or their high school I'm not going to complain about it. I don't have a problem with it and I support it. But I understand if you have a different opinion and I don't consider you homophobic for saying I, I don't uh, I, I don't know why that's up if, if it's not you know put into the religious doctrine of what's being taught in the Catholic school. I'm sorry, you're allowed to disagree on some things without, you're hateful, you're this phobic, you're that phobic, you're allowed to have a different opinion. Now, if you say, well, I don't think we should let people get married, I don't think people should have same-sex benefits, remember, these were conversations adults had in 1983, And we've moved a little bit past that now. Have we not? This is Toronto Today with Greg Brady.
2: Toronto's news. Today's talk.
0: 640 Toronto. Chloe Brown is with us in studio on Toronto Today. She's running for mayor. You described it as a B minus effort in the fall and you're going for an A plus. Now, I like the quote, but I also think you're really fair to put the onus and the spotlight on on some of the other people, current politicians and ex-politicians who didn't seem to sort of want to do this in October because they might lose and now they're all in on oh I care about the city so well, didn't you care about it in October and, yeah. and you did and you put you know you put your money where your mouth is and you ran in the fall and they didn't
1: yeah that's really it's my biggest beef with politicians where they don't have any faith in the voters they only come out every four years to communities like Rexdale Scarborough to say they care but then the other four years they spend demonizing social housing So it's become one of those really central parts of my campaign where I'm trying to call them out. I recently created this mutual aid initiative Mm -hmm. where I'm turning my donations into mutual aid to book spaces, to help with food, refreshments, because I want people to realize, like, if you're going to be an equal stakeholder of the city of Toronto, you need to do these business activities where it's hosting meetings, planning, asking questions. Mm -hmm. And I want to challenge the other candidates to do it themselves because they have, what, 10, 20 years of funders and advantage over me. Show me how you're going to solve poverty right now in your campaign. Show me mm-hmm. how you're going to pay your volunteers because I know they have the money to do it. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, calling them out and making them be better. <laughs>
0: I always say, um, and I think this, um, big big cities will always have big city problems. The goal is not I really roll my eyes when a politician says we'll eradicate this or we'll eliminate that. You can minimize things in big cities there's going to be traffic, there's going to be crime, but we're at, I think we're at a tipping point right now on all these things utilizing. And as you know, and I know, and and again, you're costing things out, the city has no money. What are the biggest issues you look at and you say, I got to prioritize this over that. I've thought about it. I've costed some of it out. And, And if we do this, there might be a trickle down effect that helps the other things.
1: The city's not broke. It's poorly governed. It actually has eleven point four billion in reserves. And that's COVID money. This is why the feds and the province are not giving the city money because they know they've been squirreling away the COVID dollars and the subsidies that the feds and the province have given them. And they have been artificially keeping tax dollar like property taxes low through that. Right. So I really challenge people to remove the idea that the city's broke. The city's priorities are to put this money away for 10-year capital projects that a lot of politicians run on continually, where it's like, yeah, I'll deliver this project in five years, this project in 10. And that's how they string us along. And this is also how they hide money for public services, because as long as it's put aside in a reserve for the gardener, that money can't be touched because it's been allocated Mm -hmm. even though it's just sitting in reserve. So there's $11 billion that the city of Toronto is not spending because they'd rather keep that promise to their donors that their property taxes will remain low. Meanwhile, the reality of public service is that the city only has so few revenue-generating tools. If they're not going to spend your tax dollars on fixing the city, what use are they?
0: Yeah, how do we unlock the codes on that, as it were,
1: and free that money up for the things that we need? We got to actually hold counselors accountable and that really means treating them like your H&R block accountant where it's like I gave you this paperwork tax day coming where's where's my taxes you know what I mean yeah, yeah. you got to treat them like the real tail worker that you get upset with if they've punched in the wrong price and this is where I really push citizens to stop abusing people that don't have the salaries or the responsibility to provide your public services, actually take it out on your representatives. You've elected these people to take it upon themselves to serve everyone. If they're not doing that, they can quit their job. Yeah, You know what I mean? And this is where we actually have to apply pressure. We're a lot, all of us work in the private sector. We have standards. Do you think I could like collect a paycheck and not deliver a project for 10 years? Like it's so bottom like the bar is in hell <laughs> you know yeah, what i mean yeah. and it's really frustrating to me because there are so many young people that i work with at the university that are living in shelters they're experiencing food insecurity how dare you tell them that they're the future and you refuse to help them today
0: yeah i can't i i feel so terrible when I think we we isolate one generation we say well this generation is this this generation of that some of it is again I never feel like you know you shouldn't apologize for who your parents are or what yeah. they did in the private industry or what you have but you have to be realistic and the idea is I'm not going to blame kids who are 20 right now for looking at I'm not old enough to have a 20 year old but I'm not going to blame them for looking at me or my generation and and, so, and saying you guys screwed this up a little bit for us, yeah. whether it was home ownership, whether it was tra- transit, whether it was, you know, to be honest, the the environment. Because we sure looked at our parents and said, you guys littered all the time. You all <laughs> smoked. You all drank and drove. And like yeah. you did lots of things that it, and you had. You had what would now be considered, to quote the prime minister, unacceptable opinions about mm. race, about gender, about equality, and we're trying to fix a lot of that. So I don't blame the other generation for looking at people born in the in the 70s going, you guys messed some stuff up for us too, and we need to make it right. We vote, and we, we've got some power now. When you get older, we've got to make it right.
1: Absolutely, and that's why I'm running. It's like I'm 30 years old, and I feel responsible for 20-year-olds because I remember what it was like a decade ago to like have a full-time job working security and living in Covenant House Youth Shelter. I was working at the Women's College Hospital. I worked at Toronto Hydro. I worked at a condo. I was working and I couldn't find decent housing because the way that the rooming housing ecosystem is set up, they're illegal. And the city yeah. hasn't moved at all on licensing them. They have the licensing starting in 2024, 20, yeah 2024, and it's like, people today are struggling in these rooming houses because they have no one to go to. They're in an illegal s- structure. If they tell the city, the city will shut it down, then they're homeless. And this is where I really just get upset from left to right because it's like the only consensus you have come across is the advancement of poverty.
0: Yeah. What do you um what do you see with the future policing in the city? It's such a complicated issue about yeah. spending and distribution, and and balancing law enforcement and making people feel safe with preventing scenarios where people, where desperate times are going to call for desperate measures, and people will commit crimes based mm-hmm. on economic circumstances. It 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 all is this giant jigsaw puzzle. But mm-hmm. if I asked you for a couple minutes on policing and, and how you view it, what would you say?
1: So the approach I'm taking is creating a strong commissioner's governance model at the City of Toronto. And when it comes to policing, that would bring police services, fire, paramedics, and Toronto Public Health, the Office of Emergency Management and Court Services under one large commission Mm -hmm. so that they could work together to improve how they triage, uh, use their real estate assets to provide housing for those essential workers, and also just reset their budget by dividing it evenly across the board. Because it shouldn't cost a billion dollars to protect three million people. At that rate, everyone should have their own personal security guard. But that's not what's happening. It's a really lousy
0: compared to other U.S. Compared to U.S. cities, it's a really lousy ratio. Absolutely, You're right. yeah.
1: And this is where I I have to ask myself. Is the problem really that we don't have enough police or are we just not setting the right performance metrics, giving them the right technology? Or are we overburdening the police with social and healthcare work that they're not mm. trained for? And that's one of the biggest issues when it comes to policing. They're not supposed to be providing healthcare, social work, um, family reunification. They're supposed to be doing tactical operations and investigative services to take down organized crime. And this is where even the idea of random crime becomes a really politicized issue because there's no such thing as random crime. There is crime that is building up to seem random. And this is I live near High Park where Gabriel was killed. And as you hear about the story of the person who perpetrated that against him you start to see that this person was just falling through the cracks repeatedly. Like there were so many instances to catch this person, mm-hmm. put them in some type of rehabilitation and get them off the street. Maybe
0: get them better. Maybe they can't, but yeah. we didn't try. Yeah. Is the, be- is the bottom line. And that's not to emp- empathize with somebody charged with murder right now, but that's to make the tact make the uh, practical point that there might've been a point in time to reach people. And if we don't, Good luck, because then then, then they're, they're all our
1: problems. I say that acknowledging Andrea's words. his Gabriel's mother put on... Gabriel's mother has so much courage. and I, It's insane how much courage she has, yeah. She's a NICU nurse. She works in the neonatal intensive mm-hmm. care unit. She sees children struggling for their lives from the moment they start. And for her to say that we need more health care was one of the most profound things that I've ever witnessed, because that's exactly who my mom is. Mm -hmm. My mom is not a vengeance-seeking person, you know? And this is why, like, I feel a duty that it's my responsibility to build these systems where people who do this work have the power to do that. And the mayor's office was where you start because, honestly, the last Mm. decade – sorry. No, no, no.
0: Yeah, yeah, we're tight, but I want you to finish. I didn't want to cut you off there because it's important what you're saying. Yeah.
1: Uh, The mayor has been a leader in ceremony we need a coach. We need a product developer. We need a project manager because the truth is Mm. the mayor cannot micromanage the entire city. We need to Mm. give people power and resources to do the things that they're trained for. We live in one of the most educated societies in the Western world, but we are the least productive. And that to me is an indicator that management is the problem.
0: Such a pleasure to have you in today. I want you to come back. Uh, I think it's, I, I think, and I'm going to say this, I think a 20-year-old Chloe, Chloe Brown would be incredibly impressed by the 30-year-old Chloe Brown. I really do. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I might have to wake you up at this hour of the morning. I'm like, get up. It's your 20. <laughs> we're allowed to sleep in when we're in our, t- our early 20s. Thank you again for coming in. Absolutely. Uh, go to chloebrown.ca. Find out more about why she's running for Toronto mayor and her policy. This is Toronto Today with Greg Brady.
2: Toronto's news. Today's talk.
0: 640 Toronto.
2: Are you in or out just when i thought
0: i was out they pulled me back in so are we in wow oh, you're out you are over and
2: out no, no 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 you insulted
1: him a little bit i'm okay with it but now you're making me feel weird it. yeah it's a lot of fun <laughs>
0: right um should a police officer have at least uh, two years of college or university it's just that simple are you in on they should go to college for two years As is the system right now, um, come out with a degree or diploma or no, go right from high school to police college. Sheba, in or out on that?
1: I'm in. I just think the more education, the better, especially in in a career path where you're going to make last minute, high pressure decisions that are often life or death. Uh, And there's research that suggests from a a University of Toronto uh, police reform expert that police officers with university or college degrees have greater communication problem-solving, and social skills, and they're less likely to use force or get into disciplinary trouble.
0: Mm. Gord, in or out on this?
3: I'm so in. I think you need this, the education, the courses, the how to handle this. And then it's like the, the opportunity is, you know, not in our job. We're not going to be forced to take someone's life to save the public, but that's a real issue. And you need to have some kind of adaptation for that so you don't fall to pieces that's 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 no small thing
0: right I, there i agree i think it's a baseline i'm in on this as well i think you have to go for at least 2 years and it's not some concept i we made the point earlier that a, a 19 or 20 year old is not does not have the judgment of a 27 or 28 year old but by the way if this is about you know weeding people out i don't look at it that way i just want this as a baseline the good cops will rise to the top and be recognized. The bad ones, the good cops will always tell you, and they can only say so much. We want the bad apples gone. We want any, in any industry, it could be this industry, it could be teaching, it could be anywhere. You want to be recognized for the good people around you that you work with. And you don't want somebody, you know, who who would be basically a brand ambassador to being, being bad. And so I think good cops want good cops around them constantly. And I think I'd love to hear from police officers via text. We'll take calls a little bit on it after uh, after eight o'clock on this front. Should a police officer have at least two years of college, even if they don't get a degree? Go. This is Toronto Today with Greg Brady. Toronto's news. Today's talk. 640 Toronto. You think everyone is running for mayor in the city of Toronto? No, our in-studio guest now isn't, unless he'd like to announce right now he is filmmaker Zach Russell. What about it? This is your moment right now. The city needs Zach Zach Russell for mayor. I know you like making movies, but... Uh, never mind. Don't worry. Politics stinks. Just so <laughs> This is I, a
3: horrible way to start this interview. I'm going to Because I'm to putting leave.
0: you on the spot. Exactly. I, 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 we want to get something out of you you're not willing to
3: admit. The mo- think, yeah, sorry. I was just saying my platform is more talk radio. I think that...
0: <laughs> oh, you're yeah. And you told me how young I looked also, and that was great. I did. I lied to you as soon as I got here. That wasn't a lie. You were being honest. You're like, how do you do it? And I'm like, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> Hi, Craig. Uh, volume, volume, volume. <laughs> Someone Lives Here is uh, is a, is going to remind people, oh, yes, I remember that story because it hit pretty notably in the news cycle about a carpenter who would build these tiny homes that we actually see other cities and other municipalities across North America and Europe utilizing for unhoused people. But let's put it this way. Khalil uh, Sievright kind of Zach went independent on this front. What attracted to you to the story in the first place when you heard about it?
3: Yeah. You know, it was October of 2020, uh, sort of early pandemic. I was feeling pretty depressed and like I didn't know what to do with myself. I was doom scrolling on my phone early one morning. Because a- you
0: really can't do a lot of what you love to do probably. You can't, you can't create and no, you have make to art. You're just waiting this out. Yeah. yeah.
3: Um, and I saw someone that wasn't waiting anything out. Uh, I saw this story about Khalil building these small uh, insulated shelters and I think I, yeah, I think there was something so radical and simple about what he was, about his mission, which is just to help save people's lives, to help people survive. And that, that idea of survival really, uh, I don't know, it hooked me. It's like, yeah, why, why aren't we helping people survive right now? Um, especially in the context of COVID, it felt like such an important thing and, and I just couldn't stop thinking about it, so I I wrote him an email. Mm-hmm. Never made a documentary before, and he promptly wrote me back and said, "I have no interest in a documentary. Please go away." But also, maybe uh, you want to make a how-to video because he wanted to, he wanted people to know how to how to build these things so that more people could build them. And we we did that, and then he let us stick around. But yeah, I think I was. It was like a little bit of light in a kind of depressing time. That news story for a lot of people. Um, and for me included so
0: there was a bit of a sell on khalil look naturally i think anybody reaches out and and maybe this is either media or somebody that will document your story and your and their their first issue is will will it be my story or will it be theirs at a certain point so there's a little bit of wiggle room where you've got to be independent and and you have instincts as a filmmaker and he doesn't but he also just wants to make sure probably i'm not getting Played here, I'm not getting exploited. There's a level of trust I'm getting at that needs to be earned with a subject like this, right?
3: Yeah, totally. But I mean, you know, and I think that's the that's a that's a very normal reaction for any subject that's approached. But you know, the thing with Khalil that was kind of incredible that drew me to him even more was he actually didn't care about that. Hmm. He cared about devoting as much time and energy as possible to building these tiny shelters. So his biggest concern with having me around was that I would somehow take as opposed to give. On his mission and so this comes back to this thing of like this is this guy who's on a mission like how how often do you encounter someone like that in this city that's like doggedly determined even if they're tired even if there's government opposition to do something and to do something that is helping people survive so i think once he saw that we weren't going to take and that we were actually going to try to help him in any way we could he was like okay you're on this mission with me let's go
0: Zach Russell's joining us in studio in Toronto today on 640 Toronto. The documentary is called Someone Lives Here. Uh, Its first screening is coming up in a few days, and we'll talk about that and where people can see it. Yeah, you and I would have grown up with the phrase, you can't fight City Hall, but don't tell that to Khalil, because like you said, it's not just a story of him doing something independently. He kind of did try to fight City Hall, and there were a lot of people backing him to fight City Hall, saying, why are you stopping him from doing something maybe the city should be doing?
3: Right. And I mean, now here we are, what? A year and a half later and the city's declared homelessness a state of emergency yesterday and the ombudsman came out with their report about the encampment clearings a few weeks ago, yeah. um, sort of basically saying that the city did not act appropriately and was actually quite cruel and violent. So, yeah, I mean, I think that one of the things that startled me the most about this is that City Hall can be can be not just a little bit wrong, but like egregiously wrong. Um, and that, yeah, I, you know, I, you can't fight city hall, but when they're, when they're, I'm not going to say lying, but when they're, mm. when they're selectively using facts to harm people, I think you kind of need to.
0: So when you start this, how you mentioned the encampment clearings, how much of a role does, does some of the back and forth of that, does that feature in the documentary? Does that play into Khalil's story at all? Given he was probably building life-saving shelters for some of the same people that might've been cleared out of Lamport Park months later. Maybe so.
3: Yeah. I mean, the, yes, the film ends with the clearings. Um, and yeah, um, a lot of footage of that from people's phone cameras and whatnot, I bet. A lot of footage of that. We were also there inside the fence at Trinity Bellwoods. We were there at Alexandra Park. We were there for Lamport, um, as were a lot of people. And yeah, I mean, the, the film ends with, uh, tiny shelters being destroyed by city tractors. Um, and that uh, that, I mean, that that kind of was the end of of the story. But now the story continues because we have this ombudsman report and we have the city mm-hmm. declaring a state of emergency. And and we also have Khalil still here um, and all of the people who are unhoused still here and still being hassled. More of them more of them, many more of them still being hassled daily by the city, whether or not there are cameras there. So, yeah.
0: Five more minutes left with uh, Zach Russell. Let's get the important stuff out of the way. And that's where people can see someone lives here. Uh, This is about Khalil Sievright, who built uh, these life-saving shelters pretty much four or five months after COVID, going into the COVID winter, I should say. So probably eight months. um, Zach Russell's with us. Where can people see the screening
3: in the next few days? they can uh, they can line up for rush tickets on April 29th this Saturday at 5:30 at the Hot Dog Cinema we are sold out for the premiere but then they can come to TIFF on Thursday, May 4th at 4.15, or they can rent it online. And uh, yeah, many ways to watch. Watch at home.
0: Many ways to watch. So we asked about, you said, I got all day to talk about John Tory. You would have had access. Did you get access to John Tory? Did you say, I'm a documentary maker? Let's hear your side of the encampment clearance. Let's hear your side of how to deal with the homeless population. What was that like?
3: I did very early on reach out to various city departments. Um, None of them wanted to chat. Uh, Or rather, yeah, or rather they wanted to maybe chat, but they probably didn't. And they mostly just wanted to email back and forth. Um, But what's great about the city, I think, is that they're constantly showing themselves. They're showing themselves in city council meetings. They're showing themselves at press conferences. They're showing themselves on radio with journalists. So the city is a major player in the film um, because I'm featuring a lot of that content. And I think we, we know what the city does and we know who they are because they are public. Mm-hmm. Um and so yeah so whether or not they wanted to be in the film they are. Do you see another city
0: do, like in in looking at the housing crisis homelessness and the like. It I want it to be I want it to be the election issue that everybody cares about the most. I don't know if we'll get there by June 26. We're getting a bit of a chance to do a do over right with this election we are. And there's a lot of fascinating people who who want this and want this for a city. Do you see another city in North America and you go Toronto's not getting it right but we
3: should be more like they are. You know, I wish I had that uh imagination, but I think I've been staring at Toronto for about 3 years mm-hmm. and for better or worse, all I can really talk about is Toronto. Mm-hmm. And I and I think that you know, I think Toronto has is filled with people who don't want to be cruel and who don't want to let people die outside their their house. I think that a lot of people are, are actually very humane and and want to help. I mean, that's why thousands of people gave money to Khalil's project. That's why so many volunteers. He had a GoFundMe for a
0: while, right? He had a GoFundMe sure.
3: that raised hundreds of thousands. Um, so people want to help. With there's just this disconnect between, between maybe our old self image as progressive and humanitarian and and what we've been doing mostly through policies, um, and through through our city government and services, and so. Yeah, I mean, I'm just really hopeful that some of that energy that was tapped into through things like the Encampment Support Network and Khalil's project, that some of that can spill over and and maybe change the city a I th- little bit.
0: I think, I'm so glad you said that, Zach, because I think there's there's no easy answers, but that's because there's no easy questions. What are the questions we want to ask about a, how to fix a housing crisis and and homelessness? And I think we all, like my instantaneous reaction is people shouldn't be living in a tent in a park But but if I stop there, that almost makes me sound insensitive to their needs because we should have this, that and the other thing Mm -hmm. to help them. I I look at safe injection sites and I think, well, uh, uh, in theory, it's keeping people alive in the short term over the long term. If that's my son going to a safe injection site every day and I can't I don't intervene I want to intervene so that he's not at a safe injection site 42 days in a row. It's just an endless cycle. But what are the what are the parameters and where should government get involved and where should exactly all these things that that we have access to? We're a rich city. We're a rich country compared to everywhere else in the world. But we're getting a lot of this wrong.
3: Yeah. I mean, oh, you just said a lot, Greg. <laughs> well, you're me... always
0: welcome back. I know you got to blast in a couple of minutes, but you're always welcome. Back. But I'd I hate to make you late for a competitor. No, I'd no, hate no. for that to happen.
3: But I do want to, I mean, I'll say a couple of things. Yeah. I'll, I'll say like, yeah, we're a rich city. And 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 I think that that might sometimes that uh, the valuing of capital, the valuing of, of money and wealth over human life um, is kind of biting us in the ass. Um, I think that you know, to the question of who how do we solve and and who do we listen to? and isn't the isn't this problem so complicated? Um, it is complicated, but also there are tons of people who have experience lived experience um, being homeless, being unhoused. And they've been trying to talk to us for decades and we really, I think those are the people that I trust. I trust the people with lived Mm -hmm. experience who've been through our shelter system, who know how hard it is to be unhoused, who know how impossible the government makes it to survive. Um, They have solutions. There are actually lots of solutions out there. And to talk about this so-called housing crisis, um, I I think that one of the biggest problems with housing is that we both want it to be a human right uh, as well as a means of accumulating wealth. And I think that those things are deeply... um, They conflict sometimes. They conflict. You know, Khalil (laughs) Khalil last night told me Mm. that uh, Tridel uh, has quadrupled their their profits in the last six years. So, like, I think we need to get real about, um, are we okay with financialized landlords making so much money while people die on our streets? And if we're not able to have these kind of harder conversations about wealth distribution, then I think we're just kind of... Well, yeah. I think
0: you nailed it. and what's what's the purpose of government? If we can't stop if, if we can't stop the grocery giants from getting richer, while more people go to food banks and the oil companies get richer, while people struggle with paying
3: taxes on their fuel and yeah. filling up their car. But the good news is that... You
0: say you're running for mayor. We're coming back around to the <laughs> no, ba- original the, the idea. Good
3: news, the good news, Greg, is that you can also just like see someone outside who needs something and do something for them. And yeah. you don't need the government to help you do that.
0: Yeah. Yeah. You, it's, it's, it's There's no legislation that makes people be kind or empathetic or understanding that, that not everybody has the same circumstances. The movie is called Someone Lives Here. Zach Russell is with us. Unfortunately, you have to go. Please come back, though, or, or get on the phone with us and talk about the movie since we, we, we're having a, a good time here and a good vibe. And And it's your first documentary. I hope it won't be your last. We'll see. <laughs> Would I'm- you like to document a radio host waking up at 345, having no idea where his pants are, can't find his car keys? Like all, all those are really that's a really intriguing plot line right there. Isn't there's that? drama. There's drama there for sure. There's the drama and loud voices also. Thanks very much for coming in. Thanks. I know you got a blast. Uh, Zach Russell. I did not kick him out of the studio. I do want to make headlines and kick somebody out of the studio someday, but it is not Zach Russell. The film's called Someone Lives Here, and yeah, you can see it at Hot Dogs. It'll start streaming on April 5th.